So this is the year that orcas attacked. A gang of rogue orcas has been sinking yachts in the Strait of Gibraltar. As far as we know, they haven't attacked any humans. Yet, just the propellers on their boats. But these orcas sure seem to be working hard to reclaim the name Killer Whale. Now, as far as we know, the endangered southern resident orcas, the superstar cetaceans who live in the Salish Sea off the west coast of North America, have never attacked a boat. But I have a theory. Maybe we've been wrong about these orcas all along. Maybe they are attacking humans. But they are so friggin' smart that they make sure it looks like the humans were attacked by sharks. Now, I have no scientific proof of this, but hey, neither do any of the experts claiming the orcas in Gibraltar are just playing. Yes, today we are talking orcas with one of the filmmakers behind the essential documentary, Coextinction. I'm Mark Young, and welcome to Scanna, a podcast for fans of fact-based reality and reality-based facts. And a lot of those reality-based facts about orcas, especially the critically endangered southern residents, the most famous whales in the world. And if you'd like to make it possible for us to share more stories about orcas and all things equinoceanic, please join our pod at patreon.com or subscribe to our Substack newsletter, which features bonus stories about all the animals and issues we cover. And we'll be sharing all sorts of links to where you can view Coextinction. A paid subscription would be fantastic. Your support helps us pay for the tech and the humans required to make this show happen. And the more support we get, the more stories we can share. Scan is also brought to you by Orca Publishing, the publishers of my three books about whales for younger readers and my two books about sharks for younger readers. And my next book, all about octopus. All of these and more are the perfect holiday gifts, and The Killer Whale Who Changed the World and Orcas Everywhere are both available as audiobooks recorded by me and available wherever you find audiobooks. So whether you're in Canada or not, Scan is the place to find out what is happening in the water here. So please share our episodes, our Substack newsletter, and our social media. We are still on most outlets. And now, Let's talk about red herrings, fishy fish farms, the dirty secrets of acoustic pollution, whale watching, whale saving, and most of all, co-extinction with filmmaker Gloria Pancrassi. Okay, so I've wanted to do this so ridiculously long, but felt we should wait until Coextinction was available for the world to see. It's now available for the world to see. So I guess we should kick off with you telling me about Coextinction. What is your movie and how did it happen? It's a, I mean, it's a wonderful movie, but I want you to tell the story of it. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And yeah. We've we've known each other for a long time now, and the amount of times that we said like let's do an episode, and every time we're like let's wait until Coextinction comes out. And I mean, this film started in 2017, and just like the the seed of it, and here we finally are. So I'm feeling really really excited. And what Coextinction is, I guess to start because I talked about 2017 and when you know the seeds of of the film and the idea behind it came to life it comes from really just a love for the orcas and it grew into a big justice movement piece 
and both environmental and social. So the, the story of co-extinction follows myself and Elena Jean, who are two filmmakers, conservationists. We've like, I've uh, worked with Cedars Research Conservation Society, and that's kind of was my, my in into this world even though I've, I've loved orcas ever since I was a little girl and I would kind of watch every documentary I could, read any book I could to get close to them because I was always just so passionate and, and fascinated by them. And so, yeah, the story follows us as we kind of try and figure out why are the seven resident orcas going or facing extinction and what are the issues behind that and who are the people trying to protect them. And that story, we really follow that that thread of just pulling the thread, what's happening? Oh, is it noise disturbance? Oh, we pull it a bit further, it brings us to wild salmon. We pull it a bit further, it brings us to indigenous rights. And we really try to cover as much as possible and show the indigenous land defenders fighting for their land and their rights and how that's connected with the orca's protection. So that's in a very big nutshell, co-extinction. I loved so much the fact that you went deeper than the superficial stuff that I I really feel like there's an effort that I'm sure has nothing to do with pipelines to go, oh, um, pay no attention to tankers, pay no attention to salmon. It's all people watching whales and it's like, here's the shiny object. Go stare at the shiny object. And every once in a while, you'd hit a shiny object and I'd go, oh, please don't, please don't. And then you'd always <laughs> go past it in that movie where it's like, yes, we're going to pretend it's all acoustic disturbances and whale watchers when there are no salmon to eat. There's nothing for them to eat. And, you know, that came from, like, truthfully, the, the journey that I want to say Ellen and I both went through when we we both kind of went on our own ways to want to protect these these orcas for different reasons and she was always just uh, very fascinated with extinction on a global scale and I like I said had that fascination with this with orcas and when I found out about the southern resident orcas just kind of they they got me <laughs> but at first I thought it was noise disturbance and I thought it was whale watching and the very if you look at the very early you know documents we have of the movie, which used to be called 78, because there were 78 Southern Resident Orcas at the time. And as we were making the film, the numbers kept dropping. And we were like, we can't make this film. We can't name it 78. And that's when co-extinction came about, as we realized that it was not just noise disturbance, that it wasn't whale watching, even though there is contribution to some extent. I don't want to also, I mean, there's a lot of research papers that show because of the dire state, it's not helping. And and on another end, it does help. It's it's very nuanced issue, not easy, but it's so much deeper than that. You can't you can't blame whale watchers, and and a lot of politicians like to blame whale watchers because then they can yeah accept a pipeline that's gonna you know increase tanker traffic by sevenfold, and and that noise disturbance is gonna be absolutely it's insane. Not to mention the climate impacts that is gonna further dwindle the salmon populations, further harm the oceans or the oil spill, or just you can go on and on and on about the impact of the Trans-Mountain Pipeline and how it's going to impact the Southern Resident Orcas. One of the things that fascinates me is that where you look on which side of the border, like the American people fighting for orcas have no awareness of what's happening over here. And Canadians are like, what's this? What's with this dam? So mm -hmm. can you talk about what you feel the biggest threats are to the Southern Resident Orcas? It's such a delight to be able to I mean, 
it's not just like to talk about extinction or co-extinction like as a concept, but to talk to somebody who can share some thoughts on what these whales are doing with what this population is dealing with. Yeah, I mean, it's such a tricky situation because I think one of the biggest point of the movie is that everything is connected and not just this ecosystem with the orcas and the salmon and people and all the beings, but also all the issues are connected. And there's been different times in my life where I've been more into one of the issues than another. You know, they're like, I think when I started co-extinction, the dams really got me. I mean, yeah, it's hard to pick one big issue. And I think the dams are a huge one because they kill millions of salmon every year. They're not the only dams that are impacting, you know, salmon return. There's a site sea dam. There are the Klamath dams that I forget. I think they've been removed now, if I'm not mistaken. I could be mistaken. But anyways, there's a lot of different dams that are, you know, impacting the southern resident orcas. Then there's the fish farms that are, you know, spreading viruses and diseases that are killing juvenile wild salmon and adult wild salmon. And then you've got this big dooming threat of the pipeline that is just going to essentially kill the southern resident orcas if it does go through. So because the risk of an oil spill is just too big, not to mention, again, what I mentioned earlier, climate impact. So yeah, I don't know if I can say one major one. I wonder if you have one. Uh, no, I was curious if you did, because I look and I go, like the dams, the Fraser River, mm. the herring, and, you know, the, to my mind, the imaginary herring fishery. Mm. that I don't know why we pretend there's a herring fishery. It's a one-day event. Nobody's employed. But, you know, like this is not a job that employs people for 365 days. It's a one-day fishery that takes all the freaking fish. Mm. It blows my mind. That that fascinates yeah. me. So, so many things. And just, yeah. The, yeah. And the fact that we do have all these laws and none of them are enforced. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get much into fisheries in co-extinction, and we wanted to get, and we actually filmed both about the salmon fishery and the herring fishery. I can't remember off the top of my head as much about the herring fishery, but I remember sifting through so much data to understand the salmon fishery, because it was really hard to get the real data, and it was so confusing, and we talked to so many different researchers and scientists and, and fishermen and data. And it's just, yeah, it, it, there, there's a lot of laws that don't make sense or laws that aren't enforced. And it's, it's pretty, it's just, yeah, I think, I mean, that's part of the big scary thing with the Southern resident workers is that it's not just one big issue. It'd be so much easier if it was one big issue. And I think in a way they're, I guess, it's because this moment in time where we are, there's not and all the injustices we're facing and all the problems we're facing to create justice and freedom and and all of that aren't just one issue. So in a way, they're, they're showing us that, you know, like, and I think for Elena and I and the whole team, it always fascinated us how the orcas are telling us something, they're showing us something. And yeah, you can... You can learn a lot about the things we got to do in the world right now by looking at these orcas, whether that's how they are with one another or whether that's how there's not one big issue. They're all tied and they go back to to really deep systemic issues that we have to face. My favorite line in your bio 
is a line about Southern Resident Orcas where you say they are each other's home. It's Ken's Can line. That just, a little bit? I, that just makes me smile. It's, it's, uh, it's actually Ken Balcom's line. I forget where I heard it from him, but I heard him say that once and I, same, it just like struck a chord and it's so beautiful. Like, I think why Orca is on, for so many people, they're so called to, they like, I'm trying to find the right word, but a lot of people are feeling affinity with them in, in some capacity and they have this capacity. I heard it so many times when we were filming to make, you know, many people cry just by the sight of them. And yeah, I think it's, at least for me, it's that, it's how much they care for each other and through anything that comes their way, they're going to swim through it together. And we saw it with J35 when she carried her dead calf. When she couldn't carry her dead calf anymore, her family members carried her calf for her so she could go and take a breath. So they are each other's home and we're destroying their home. And even when they sleep at night, you know, they'll sleep in that line body against body and just swimming unisonly. So yeah, I love that line too. Yeah, I haven't asked this question on scanning far too long. Do you remember the first time you saw a whale? Yeah, maybe not the exact moment, but I do remember. So again, like I said, that fascination for the orcas go back a very, very long way. And I just saw Free Willy as like a, I don't know how old I was, maybe six years old. And then I watched it every day for like a whole year. Like my mom told me I watched it like probably over a hundred times. And so I, I grew up in France in Paris, which not a lot of people know, which is funny because now I'm on Vancouver Island living just like as much as I as close to nature as I possibly can. But my mom and my dad organized this trip to near Alert Bay to they first they adopted a northern resident orca. There's like these programs where you can adopt a northern resident orcas and it I forget what it supports actually. Um I know there's one program through the WDC. So it supports whale conservation. And so that was like my present I got. I was like the godmother of this this orca, which was the coolest gift ever for uh for me at that age. Still at this age would be the coolest gift. And and eventually I think it was a year later she organized this trip to yeah go to Alert Bay and that's where we got to see orcas and yeah I actually remember more than that I remember watching a scary movie in my living room and hearing the call of orcas and I was like I was like I don't like this movie and wait am I hearing orca calls and then I went and my mom was doing research to to for this trip and so like I always remember like I noticed the orca calls and yeah just I don't remember the feeling of, of that moment. I think I remember more maybe in 2017 when I saw them again for the first time as an adult, because I think I was 10 years old that first time I saw them. And I was working with CETIS. I was on the Straight Watch program in, on Saturna Island. And I think the first two days, if I remember correctly, we didn't see any orcas. We saw porpoises. And on that third day, they were on San Juan Island. I had no idea what San Juan Island was at that time. But they were on the west shore of San Juan Island. And and yeah, I just remember we get there, we're so far away. And and I'm looking with the binoculars and I'm looking, looking, searching for them. And then really far away, I see them and I, yeah, I teared up and I just felt so emotional and grateful and like right where I needed to be. So what are some of the groups you've worked for? So you said, what were you doing with CETUS? And then can we get you to talk just a little bit about visiting Orca Lab? Yeah. Because that sounds like such an adventure to me. I'll add a bit more about CETUS because honestly, it's just, it's just such a wild thing. Like 
I, so, okay, I'm this, this girl who grew up with Paris. I want to be a marine biologist. I'm not a big science person. I'm more of the arts, clearly. And so I end up going into journalism and, you know, university and all of that. I graduate university and I'm feeling this calling to go back to the orcas and to work with them. But I have, other than my love and my like years of just trying to Google as much as I can about them, I have no experience. And I'm just starting, I, I want to go out west and want to go be with the whales. And I, I apply, I did a, a few volunteering gigs. Like I wrote. Uh, annual reports for um, living oceans, which is where I started to really understand all the stuff that was going on with the Southern resident orcas. Cause it was like really unpretty facts about all the issues and et cetera. So anyways, I apply to, I, I, I call CETUS. I don't even apply. Essentially I'm just trying anything to get out there. And I call CETUS cause I see they have a job opening and uh, Mark Dombowski answers. And we spend like an hour talking on the phone and, you know, I'm sharing all I know about the orcas and, and everything. And he gave me a chance. Like, and I, we did a screening of coextinction in August on Quadra Island with Cetus and Mark was there and we were talking and I, was, and I always get really emotional when I see him. Cause I'm like, you gave me that, like a coextinction would not be here if, if you hadn't given me that chance. And like, I had no there was no actual like reason for you to give it to me other than you just saw how passionate I was. And he's like, yes. And she's like, once in a while, I just, just take that shot. And like, he's like, I, you had writing skills and, and I could see how passionate you were. So I just, I just did it. And I was like, yeah, like, because of that, I got to like be there on the ground. I got to deepen my relationship to the orcas and my knowledge of them. I thought I knew about orcas. And then I showed up and I was like, wow, I know nothing. And I got to deepen that knowledge. I got to meet Elena. And from there, we got to work on it and expand the team and build this movie. So yeah, that summer of Straight Watch for Context, Ali Straight Watch South, which was on Saturna Island and is now based in Victoria. You go out on the water and you educate boaters about the Be Whale Wise guidelines. So how to operate a boat near whales so you're not uh, running over them or getting too close, which unfortunately a lot of people do and have no idea how to behave around whales. And also you report, you like take data of the amount of boats, how close they are. Um, and that includes, you know, small vessels to the big tankers. Um, and if there are any incidents, you try and stop that from happening. So, you know, I've also volunteered with Soundwatch, which is just very similar. It's kind of like, it's not the U.S. counterpart, but they do the exact same thing. They do very similar things in the U.S. And we stopped like a boat that was about to run over J31. That was pretty terrifying. <laughs> Anyways, that's, that's straight watch. And I always like to share that story. Actually, before, can we stay there for just a minute? Because you're hitting one of the things that I find most frustrating is that Straight Watch and Soundwatch are able to report these incidents. You could even document these incidents. And yet, the best of my knowledge, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans in Canada and NOAA in the United States almost never enforces their laws around these incidents. So it's like not even the slap on the wrist. Right? Like just nothing. Yeah. So it's like you get to go out on the boats and kind of scold people. I mean, in the US, I believe one of the times I was with Soundwatch, someone got fined. Um, so the US has more I, I don't know how to call it, like more um weight on those rules. But we they're not at least when I was working for Straight Watch, they weren't laws. So yeah, the best we could do is like, please don't do this, but like that's all we could do and like take the data down but we didn't have any you know it was just it's a guy it was a guideline i don't know if i think it might have changed now but at the time yeah it was very 
it was, yeah, it was more of like a, and not even a, a slap on the wrist because again, you know, it was, there were just guidelines. I, again, I think now there's more, there, there are actual laws, especially around the Southern resident work as like there's the 200 and 400 meter law, if I'm not mistaken, I forget. Well, I mean, I remember uh, attending Superpod and a whole bunch of the Orca experts were really concerned that what was going to happen when they took out, when they moved the whale watchers away from the Southern residents was that what you would have was people running over the Southern residents because it was the whale watchers who were presenting that, who were preventing that. Yeah. And that's definitely, you know, I would say we've seen, well, in my, in my experience with straight watch and sound watch, I've seen whale watchers, you know, leapfrog, which is when you go, you kind of go where the whales are going to be and, and this way you're like, oh, they came to me, but you kind of put yourself in their way. But I've noticed a lot more of scarier incidents of people almost running over the whales and having no idea there's like how to behave around whales from private boaters. And yeah, I think, I mean, it's not the, again, it's not the biggest thing, but I think it's definitely, there needs to be more education there. If like, you can't just get like a boat license if there's these critically endangered beings in the ocean. <laughs> where you live but again bigger fish to fry but at the same time yeah it's it's so it's so bigger fish to fry and at the same time i understand wanting to make sure that they're not struggling more but it can't be the biggest thing we talk about you just volunteered orca lab i'd love to hear what that was like yeah it's it's magical up there i i'm so grateful that i got to volunteer i volunteered my first summer in 2020 and they just, you know, it was COVID, so they needed, they were like a really small crew and needed extra people. And I mean, it, it's just so, it's such a special place with such a beautiful way of, of doing things. I find like I went there with a really big burnout from like doing the march to try and breach the dams and how they were in relationship with each other and the orcas and the land and the water and how they really tried to take care of the place like the ethics and the love and the slowness like healed me in a lot of ways. And some of my best friends here are from like where I live are folks from work lab. Um, and whenever I, I go, it's like a, a big, I'm very, very grateful. And yeah, it's, it's so special. Can you describe it? Cause I, I, most people aren't going to know where it is or what it is. Yeah. So. Sorry. <laughs> that makes sense. Orca lab is uh, North Vancouver Island. It's on Hanson Island. So a small island. Uh, if you go all the way in North Vancouver Island, it was founded by Paul Spong and it is run by Paul Spong and his wife, Helena Simons. And they listen to the orcas 24 seven all year long. Uh, they have these hydrophone systems set up in the Johnson Strait and in Blackney Pass. When you're in the lab, there's always someone in the lab and you listen to the whales and you're able to really tell which pod it is and where they're going just through listening to them so their whole point is to like you know protect and learn from the orcas without interfering with them so without being out on the water and even they really try through everything they do to not impact nature in a negative way they'll be really mindful of when they drive the boat it's almost fully run and i, I and i hope i'm I'm speaking rightly of this because again, I've only volunteered there three times for a max of three weeks. So I'm not the expert on it at all. And I hope I'm 
speaking properly about all the beautiful things that they do. Uh, they also have camera systems, so you're able to look. You can hear and see the whales around the world because they stream it. So if you go to Orca Lab's website, you're able to listen live or watch live and you can, there's underwater cameras, above cameras, and all this without ever, you know, interfering with the orcas' lives, just like letting them live their lives. But you're able to listen and watch so people can connect with these orcas and fall in love with them like I did and maybe want to protect them, but also collecting really important data of like how their, what their lives are like, where they spend most of their time, how the population's doing, you know. Yeah, and then when you're there, you also take care of, of the land and of the space. And I think that's something I also really appreciate, whether it's chopping wood, cleaning the deck, just like, yeah, that like that respect and reciprocity is really powerful there. Not only with nature, but again, like not only with the orcas and the water, but with the space you're on. Cool. What was the biggest, what were the biggest surprises for you? What was the biggest surprise working on co-extinction? What did you find out that was most, that stuck with you? I think I knew of colonization and injustices towards indigenous people, but I think I'm, I've witnessed more, like, just like I've witnessed some of it and I've witnessed some of like, you know, you can know about it and then you see it and you're like, you really see how messed up it is and how deep the impacts are. We made a second film, Warrior Spirit, that was directed by Will George, who's in co-extinction and you know, we followed the injustices in the legal system and the colonial trauma that, that he carries and that he's not the only person who, who deals with that. I mean, who has colonial trauma and who is trying to heal from it and how hard the Canadian government makes it for Indigenous people to heal from colonial trauma by, you know, putting a pipeline in their backyard, even though there's no consent, by arresting people who are peacefully protesting on their unceded land against this that pipeline project. And then in the legal system, they have policies like the Gladger Report, which is meant to help Indigenous people who are being trialed to kind of factor in how colonization has impacted this Indigenous person and why they might be facing jail time right now and then find alternatives to jail time. And for folks who watch Warrior Spirit, you'll see how uh, how the legal system fails them in that way and how the Gladger Report is actually just re-triggers and re-traumatizes more. So I think I think it maybe wasn't a it was a deepening and continues to be of how colonial Canada is and how that's tied with protecting the southern resident workers. Thank you. And what were some of the biggest questions that you received at screenings of co-extinction? I mean I think you opened during the did you open during the pandemic? Or did you open when the world was shut down or did you open just after? No, we opened just after when it was still like half our premiere was at jackson wild and there were some people present and then our canadian premiere was at this which is so cool so they were we were lucky that it wasn't all virtual i forget what our biggest question was we got so many different questions we've done so many screenings since then too like there's always questions that like catch me off guard and i'm like whoa i don't know it's a great question yeah i, I don't know i'm trying to think they're all like rushing at the same time Okay. Where is the movie now? Where can people see it? Because you're now officially out into the world. Yeah. Right? Like the, the movie's finally like free in the wild. So yeah. can you give the plug for where people can check out the movie? So it depends where you live. I'm actually going to wrap it up right now. Um, if you're in Canada, you can watch it for free on CBC Gem. Um, and actually I'll start by saying the best thing you can do is go to coextinctionfilm.com slash watch or just coextinctionfilm.com and then click the watch button and then you'll see your country and you can click on it 
and it'll take you directly to where you can watch it because it's not in, on one streaming platform. It's on different ones depending on, on the country. So right now, uh, just for folks who are in Canada, there's the English and French version. You'll find it on coextinctionfilm.com slash watch. It's on CBC Gen or Radio Canada for French folks. And it is coming soon. I don't know when this episode is releasing, but um, it is going to be launched December 9th on uh, in the US, US, UK, and Mexico and Ireland. And that's going to be on like a pay TV. So you have to pay or rent it, which we wish it had been for free, but at least it's out still. Um, and it might be up for free later on. We're just not too sure about that. So, but that December 9th, people in the US and UK and Mexico and Ireland, and we're especially excited for the US because like you said, there's issues there too. And for so long, we've wanted to bring it there because there's so much policy change and change we want to get there. So we're really, really stoked about that one. I'm really sort of shocked and delighted by how many listeners Scan has around the world. And I think we actually have more American listeners than Canadian listeners even. But like, we have just absurdly cool ratings in different countries. So hopefully this will steer people to you. And it looks like the timing is right after this phenomenal wait, because you're about to be released all these other places. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Mark. Thanks again for checking out Scanner with Mark Lernian. That's me. I'd like to thank all our sponsors and Patreon patrons, including Susie Venuta, Simon McNair, Robert Anderson, Darren Lernian, Yosef Wask, and our friends at Eagling, Whale Watching, and Wildlife Tours. The people who took us out to meet Granny for our movie, The Hundred-Year-Old Whale, which is also available on all sorts of cool sites for free now. And again, those links are in our Substack newsletter and in our show notes along with the links to watch Co-Extinction. Please follow us on Substack and social media, and please share the show with your friends. Share it with freaking everyone. Sharing our work is more essential than ever because social media sites are making it tougher to find all Canadian news about oceans and everything else. Because of that, we're now publishing the Scanner Newsletter every two weeks and sharing stories about all things eco and aquatic from Canadian media outlets. If this podcast did not work for you, I'm Santa Claus, and you are getting coal in your stocking. Scan is stationed in Saddish, B.C., territories of the Wasanish, Songhees, and Esquimalt peoples. Executive producer, the always awesome Rain Banu. Scan a site, brought to you by our Wizard of Web, Katie Brown. Research, courtesy of Captain Courtney Bill. Audio magic, and so much more. Brought to you by our powerhouse producer, Bug Lewis. Scan's theme song, Scan it, is by Leah Abramson. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for supporting us this year and wishing you all of the best in 2024.